0: Welcome, everyone, to
1: another episode of Scrolling to Death, a podcast for parents worried about social media. I'm very excited to share that we are joined by Leah Plunkett today. Hi, Leah. Hi,
0: Nikki. Thanks for having me.
1: Of course. So Leah Plunkett is the author of the acclaimed book, Sharon Hood, why we should think before we talk about our kids online. I love it. She's a faculty member at Harvard Law School and a faculty associate with the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University. Lee, I have to admit, I I read your book in 2020 and I've been wanting to talk to you ever since. It was one of my first reads in the space. I was a social media manager at the time uh, for about a decade. So really seeing the behind the scenes of how social media works to kind of manipulate people's decisions and target them and pull all their data. And it really opened my eyes along with The Social Dilemma, watching that documentary that year as well. And I started researching Sharenting and, and sharing kids online a ton at that time. also stopped posting my kids that year and deleted Instagram entirely. I've had a really great few years off of social media and sort of realized no one else is doing this. <laughs> so many people are still all over social media and still sharing their kids. And so I felt inclined to get into this space, educate people on the dangers of, of sharing their kids, but really just educating people on what is going on in the world around social media so we can all make critical decisions ourselves Mm -hmm. on what's safe for our family. You are, I think, one of the first ones to publish on this topic. So could you Tell us a little bit about your journey with sharenting and how you came to publish an entire book on the topic.
0: Thank you so much, Nikki. This is a really important conversation, and I'm delighted to be here to have it. Yeah. So, my path to talking and teaching and researching and writing about sharenting is sort of like an eagle arms and yoga moment. I know people can't see on a podcast, but if you can imagine Mm -hmm. two arms intertwining around each other in the eagle arms yoga pose, that was my journey to getting so invested in thinking and talking about sharenting. Mm -hmm. To continue the eagle arms metaphor, one arm was the fact that I became a parent myself in 2010, late 2010, and then I became a parent for a second time In 2015. Mm -hmm. And also now the other arm in the eagle arms pose is that I joined the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society here at Harvard University in 2013. Mm -hmm. And I was researching and writing on digital privacy for kids in schools specifically.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So looking at state law reform, attempts at federal law reform around student digital privacy. Mm -hmm. Super important topic, super interesting. So grateful to the wonderful team at the Berkman Klein Center for including me in that work. And Nikki, in the course of doing that work, I would sometimes take breaks, of course, and sometimes on those breaks I would go on Facebook and I would it. so combination of of sharing and parenting about at that point my one wonderful kiddo, and I would love looking at other people's sharented posts, right? Because you know you're doing a lot of statutory or case law research and all the words run together. And then there's an adorable picture of Mm -hmm. a baby and a dog or a cat and a toddler. I was like, oh, this is so great. (laughs) And then I just had one of those viscerally uncomfortable moments where I was like, huh, so there are laws if I'm a teacher that limit what I can say about kids online Mm -hmm. or my ability to share information online even if i'm not doing like a post right there's plenty of ways that yes information gets shared online that you know yeah. all about from your time as a social media manager now in in this job there so there are laws they're not perfect but they exist yeah for protecting kids online privacy in schools but as a parent i could go on facebook anytime i wanted and like take a picture of my kid's social security card and post it, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And don't don't do that. I never did that. That's a (laughs) terrible idea. Please. But there's no law that would have stopped me from doing that. And I started then getting more and more uncomfortable with just sort of feeling like, huh, I'm all for parental freedom. I truly am. Mm -hmm. I really think that the core freedoms to be able to choose whether – when, how, with whom to have kids and then how to raise kids are really fundamental here in the United States. Yeah. But also parents, as well as grandparents, aunts, uncles, and other trusted adults, we're not actually the best gatekeepers for our kids' online privacy Mm -hmm. because we don't really understand online privacy ourselves. Yes,
1: Exactly. I love that. And the the school photos starting out there is interesting, the school privacy. My son was in kindergarten last year and I did not sign the form allowing them to share his image online. So when they would take a big group photo with the class, he was the only one. He'd get pulled out of the photo to the side. People have very (laughs) strong opinions on my decision to do that, which is fine.
0: (laughs) You know, Good for you for doing that because it feels right to you. Yes. And also good for you for talking about that. So I do the same thing, actually. I opt my kids out of those kinds of moments. Yes. Sometimes schools or camps that they're in will then take me up on my offer to reach out with a specific request. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, we're doing this really big, pretty public already event. Mm -hmm. Would you mind? And I've actually always said yes to those specific requests Mm -hmm. because they've all been Very thoughtful. Yeah. And there are times when, you know, I think sharenting is complex, and there are times when I have made the judgment that absolutely there's such limited information and it's fine. But I'm just going to briefly flag that I would hope that the folks running a picture, whether it's at a school or a camp or an athletic activity, could figure out a way to protect privacy without making a kiddo feel left out yes. especially a really young kiddo yes because i get like i mean i can sometimes barely manage two kids mm-hmm. and you know mad respect to to folks who are trying to corral you know 12 or 20 or however many 33 <laughs> also um never really good whether it's for privacy or other reasons To make a kiddo feel Mm -hmm. left out of a group in a way that kind of all their peers can see. Yes. So I would think between maybe having the kiddo stand on the end and then angling the photo so you actually aren't including Mm -hmm. them, right? Or using a little Photoshop or another tool later so that it's really too bad that your kiddo was made to feel sort of left out that way.
1: Yeah, and luckily he's in his own world and didn't really even know (laughs) this.
0: But I think that it was
1: one of those instances where I was like, something's broken here. This is not how this should work. right? Uh, And also, why aren't there any other parents that are thinking this way? no judgment to them, but are we aware? Is the awareness there around why I've made this decision? So again, a reason why I wanted to speak up on this topic. When was your book published again? Was it 2019 originally?
0: My book was published in 2019 originally, and then a a paperback edition was released about a year later. Okay. So a lot has changed yeah. even in the last few years. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you examine the how caregivers make decisions to disclose data about children. so you go into you know potentially invading their privacy, uh, threatening their current or future opportunities, um, limit their ability to develop their own sense of self and their own digital identity. These three things are still big things, but are there new things that have come up in the past three, four years that you would have added if it were now that you wrote
0: the book? A big thing I would have added now if I wrote the book now is a lot more on generative AI. Yes. Okay. The book does talk some about AI, artificial intelligence, because it was around even then. Yeah. But the warp speed at which new and still rapidly evolving ways mm-hmm. that children's privacy could be compromised. Or potentially protected too, depending on the tool Mm -hmm. from generative AI tools, would be a really important frame if I were to write the book now Mm -hmm. or do an updated edition. A couple of things I would flag one is we had a letter from all 50 attorneys general across the US and our territories that was sent to lawmakers and I believe also regulators in D.C. a few months ago calling Mm -hmm. for them to please do something at the federal level about children's privacy with AI, even if it takes a little bit longer to act on privacy and related interests with AI for adults. I think that's something worth highlighting. I also think important to highlight the ways in which kids themselves, and especially teenagers, are likely to be some early experimenters with and adopters of AI tools, mm-hmm. particularly in a family. Mm-hmm. And something that my book does talk about is the line between sharenting And a kiddo or a teenager actually making their own privacy or related digital decision can get pretty blurry. Yes. It's pretty clear, right? If you're taking a picture of a newborn and posting it on Facebook, like you're sharing a newborn has no idea what you're doing. Right. They can't consent. (laughs) Right. Right. It gets a little murkier. When you are giving, let's say, a tablet to a five-year-old and having them work on math at home, Mm -hmm. right? Because you want to give them an enrichment opportunity. I would still categorize a lot of a decision like that as sharenting because Mm -hmm. in my book, literally and metaphorically, sharenting is not just social media, although that's super important, but it's all the ways that parents, grandparents aunts, uncles, and other trusted adults transmit children's private information digitally. So a digital device, an app on that device, Mm -hmm. if you're giving it to a child and saying, please use this, Mm -hmm. I actually think that there's a fair amount of sharenting going on that you're doing. Um, The other thing that I would talk about if I were to write Sharenthood now would be the COVID-19 pandemic and the ways in which the pandemic really was a global, certainly national, mm-hmm. high-stakes, warp-speed, real-time experiment in making pretty much every aspect of K-12 to education And family life digital as much as possible Mm -hmm. for the kids and families and schools and school districts that were fortunate enough to be on the right side of the digital divide and have a device and have connectivity. Absolutely. And so there's a lot that we're still learning and assessing about, particularly that spring and summer of 2020. Mm -hmm. But actually, there's a pretty long tail for the impact that pandemic mode had on sharenting in homes, in schools, in community spaces, as well as in our public discourse.
1: Yeah. With the AI component. Did you hear about this week? I think the Wall Street Journal reported on it, a, a high school in New Jersey with the AI photos of the girls, of the high school girls there. No. So some high school girls were watching the boys at this high school. They were snickering over their phones and the girls found photos of themselves that were that had been edited with AI to be to be nude. The boys were sharing them back and forth in group chats. And so the police are investigating it, but it's likely going to be months before any resolution because there's a lack of clarity on if creating these images is is legal and then, you know, how to proceed from there. And what I learned is only a handful of states like Virginia California, Minnesota, New York, have outlawed the distribution of faked porn or given victims the right to sue creators in civil court?
0: So I'm I'm not familiar with the case you're talking about that the Wall Street Journal reported on. I will say that there is a long- you know, long-ish, I guess, history in American law that predates AI around Mm -hmm. when there may be, I'm not saying there are here necessarily, but when there may be protected First Amendment interests in Mm -hmm. creating content that is not, Real. Right. I want to be crystal clear. The law is crystal clear. If those were real pictures of real minors, then we have very clear state and federal law around child sexual abuse imagery and other types of abusage imagery that makes those criminal. Mm -hmm. And also it gets more complicated. I'm not weighing in on this particular set of circumstances since I haven't seen it, but I will just generally say criminalizing creation of images when those images are not actually taking mm-hmm. pictures of real people, right? So at what point is it a doodle, right, right. that is coming from your mind, mm-hmm. which is quite clearly something you are generating rather than a picture of a real person? There still could be mm-hmm. uh, in in certain circumstances, particularly those involving minors, if you were like, heaven forbid, doing a doodle of a real minor in, in, Front of you, right in that state, so that we still have criminal problems. But right. you know, Nikki, I think you you bring up broadly speaking a very important set of interlocking issues, which is that mm-hmm. now that it has gotten truly exponentially easier in a very short amount of time to take images of kids and teens, yeah, and use. AI tools to learn things about them, to enhance them, mm-hmm. to, you know, do harmless things with them, right? So yeah. take, you know, take a picture of me as a 13 year old getting ready for my bat mitzvah and put it in an AI g- image generator and mm-hmm. add some unicorns, right? I mean, there there are plenty of mm-hmm. yeah. very innocuous and in fact, very fun use cases for something like that. Mm-hmm. And tragically, and inevitably, there are a lot of really scary and threatening and privacy invading use cases when you have pictures or videos of real children going into tools that can enhance, remove clothes, modify, right? Yeah. It's, um, yeah, very, um, very tough time. And I will just also add to circle back to the, the thing I had said earlier about the attorneys general signing a letter asking for coordinated action at the federal level, especially to try to ward off use cases of real kids' faces being put into image generators and having pictures come out that are um, images of child abuse. I think important to, to flag for listeners that Law enforcement is is very well aware of this and, and trying to take action and also to flag for listeners that there are many toolkits right now in every state, even states that may not have laws clearly on point for artificial intelligence, that parents or minors who are being victimized or potentially being victimized mm-hmm. by any type of harassment or bullying or stalking or anything in that category should absolutely still go to the school, go to local law enforcement, and try to get the protections that they themselves or their children deserve, even if at first glance it may seem like there isn't kind of a new Mm AI-specific law. Because while AI makes some of the risks here greater Mm -hmm. and- also does potentially tee up a lot of kind of new legal questions. Law enforcement already has great investigative and enforcement tools in every state that can be applied in creative, respectful, effective ways by law enforcement.
1: That is wonderful to hear because this child sexual abuse material has been a really scary subject for parents and experts are advising parents that what they can control is whether or not they share their kids. And if you don't share your kids, then there's no chance of their photos getting stolen and manipulated online. So I found a stat that half of all photos stolen by child sexual predators were taken from social media profiles, even private profiles. And this whole thing kind of baffles me because a lot of it happens on the social media platforms. I often ask myself, why the tech companies can't do a better job removing that content more quickly, uh, if at all. Do you have perspective on if the tech companies have a legal responsibility to remove the child sexual abuse material specifically from their platforms?
0: To remove child sexual abuse material, if it is CSAM, yes, CSAM should come down. Okay, But um, I would say that CSAM, so child sexual abuse materials, Mm -hmm. should be reported, Mm -hmm. of course, to a platform through their trust and safety channels yes. and to law enforcement.
1: Okay, both. And they're required to take it down. But there's so much still available. So is it just too much for them to handle?
0: It is an important and complicated and yeah. and broad question. And so without being able to, you know, weigh in on you know each and every platform or each and every use case, mm-hmm. I think Nikki, there are just a couple of things I would have folks keep in mind. One is there is an incredible volume of content produced across social media platforms in a variety of ways, right? Some of it is set to public. Some of it is set to private. Some of it is in a group. Some of it is in messaging. Mm -hmm. Some of it may be in live streaming. So there's just a lot of different content being produced. That's one. Second is that it can take a little bit, not certainly they're egregious postings that It's not going to take you any time. Like that's Mm -hmm. clearly um, needs to come down right away. Yes. But there can also be content that legitimately requires some consideration and investigation Mm -hmm. and also coordination at times with law enforcement. Yeah. So this brings me to my last sort of thing to keep in mind that without being able to speak for the platform, we need to get Mark Zuckerberg on the line. (laughs) uh, (laughs) um, But generally speaking, even though there are a lot of tools that can be used to detect images, phrases, and and so on, there are legitimate needs for human review and the application of policies and processes to these decisions such that we don't sort of have a magic button or a magic eraser as much as I think we Mm -hmm. all would like to, for especially for things that are very clearly not okay. Mm -hmm. So what I would say to folks who may be listening and thinking, is there any is there any hope, right? If there, Mm -hmm. there are pictures of my child going around, the answer is absolutely yes. And as a parent, the same way if your child was being beaten up on a school bus, right? Or wasn't feeling safe standing outside of the school waiting for you to pick them up or was being subject to some type of harassment by a classmate verbally on school grounds, start by going to the school if it's from another student and asking the school to get involved in accordance with whatever policies and processes they have. Uh, School intervention can get complicated if it is taking place outside of school hours on non-school issued devices on non-school monitored accounts Mm -hmm. and so on. But it's absolutely a place to start if it is between your child and another student. And also contact local law enforcement and make a report if you suspect that there is any content being circulated of your child Mm -hmm. that you reasonably believe is or could be a violation of criminal law. The same way that if somebody was showing up, you know, outside your home every morning and, Mm -hmm. you know, yelling, um, harassing things at your child or following them around, right? Just because it's online, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean it's off limits from good, old-fashioned, bread-and-butter law enforcement and school intervention techniques.
1: Yes, and I think some states are requiring you, if it's between students, to report it to the school as well when it comes to bullying. The erase button piqued something in me. There's one of the bills, maybe is it COPA 2.0, that mentions potentially doing an erase button where if you see something about your kid, you can just click, they, you know, proposing that. I don't know how that functionality would work.
0: <laughs> yeah, might maybe one that is a better... um <laughs> Better in theory than in reality, yes, right, um, I love it in theory, yeah, and also recognize that now let's let's move you know away from things that are very clearly should be erased and come down into mm-hmm. and into something that gets starts to get a little bit more complicated, right? so let's say because I'll give an example right that can commonly come up in family law where you have parents who are estranged or separated or divorced right and have very different visions of what social media presence is acceptable for their child this does come up in in family law yeah. disputes right so looking at this from kind of an erase button hypothetical let's say that we have separated parents mm-hmm. there's no court order in place around who gets to make decisions about a child's digital life sometimes there are court orders that will get issued in the context of a separation or a divorce but let's say there isn't one. Yeah. And so parent 1 says to a school, no problem. You can include my child in this group field trip or this group picture. And let's say the school does that, right? Legitimately thinking they they have um they have permission, yeah. And the picture becomes an item that is newsworthy, right? Maybe these this is a school field trip, right, to the u s. Capitol, where they successfully lobby all the lawmakers to fix AI for kids, right? Mm-hmm. Should parent number two under a hypothetical future law that gives us a hypothetical future erase button, mm-hmm. just be able to push an erase button and modify this image that, the people who put it up legitimately thought they had the rights to do, and that has become a noteworthy and newsworthy image for reasons that have nothing to do with the child involved. Mm-hmm. I, I think that starts to get harder. Right. I'm not saying that I I wouldn't you know be enthusiastic about a a curated principled erase button, mm-hmm. um, but also that outside of a certain category of content that is either already criminal illegal or just downright icky and unwelcome, or we can just kind of say, reasonable minds would say that kids shouldn't have to have this kind of stuff up about them. Right. Outside of that, it can
1: get complicated quickly. Yeah. And what if that same news piece is has a negative spin on it and it puts the kid in a bad light and affects them long-term? Can that kid, when they're an adult, sue their parents for that photo being released. You know, There's all these applications, especially when it comes to exposing the kids. And I know you have an event coming up about kid influencing. So I'd love to talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, let's talk about this. Uh,
1: So a lot of parents have influencer profiles. A lot of families have presence online where uh, they involve the whole family and the, the kids are all over the videos. And now on different platforms, they're earning profits from that content. so first of all, what what do you think about this um, you know exposing your children in that way to earn a profit and do these kids have a right to compensation in these cases?
0: I love talking about what I call commercial sharenting, but most of the world calls uh, kid influencers or family influencers mm-hmm. um, so kid influencers are a major global entertainment sector yep. at this point yeah. a lot of money changing hands whether it is through revenue from the platforms if a kid influencer or a family influencer right um, reaches certain Platform specific requirements to earn a revenue, also a lot of money for product placement or endorsements or crossovers, right? So you establish a really successful Kidfluencer channel and Mm -hmm. then you can do a clothing line or magazine shoots. So there is a fair amount of money to be made. And also, right now in the United States, Kidfluencers are almost never covered under existing labor laws. Wow. I think that's a big problem. Yes, Um, it is. We have kiddos who instead of a stage in L.A. or a stage in their kitchen. Right, right. (laughs) Exactly. They're on stage in their kitchen. And the location shouldn't change the fact that they're engaged in labor as child entertainers. And they should be compensated and also have workplace protection.
1: I guess I'm just surprised that they weren't protected in that way.
0: It is surprising the perspective of your and I think many other people's excellent common sense, compassionate intuition that, hey, we've got Mm -hmm. kids performing labor and we're a civilized democracy. They should be protected. So your intuition is spot on. Here's what's been happening though. There are a couple layers of, I don't want to say loopholes because that just sounds like it was intentionally done this way and it wasn't. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of layers where existing legal frameworks literally just doesn't properly understand kid fluencer work as labor. Mm -hmm. And I will spare you folks my my law professor lecture, but I will just say a couple of quick Mm -hmm. things. One is, are federal labor laws looking to the states to regulate or not child entertainers specifically? States do vary already on how well they do that. California, New York, not surprisingly, have some of the strongest protections. So you already have some states who are not actually providing particular protections for child entertainers. Mm -hmm. Then you also have the fact that child entertainer laws generally were written for a brick and mortar era. So as a matter of defining... What it means to be an entertainment we 're thinking about the Hollywood sound stage or the Broadway stage. Mm-hmm. The other thing that 's often happening is that state laws typically will be very generous with parents in terms of children working in the home or in a family business, mm-hmm. which makes sense right we We provide a lot of freedom for families to decide, right? Should my kid be working in my candle making business or or whatnot, as long as it's not dangerous or keeping them out of school? Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of layers where the kid fluencers just weren't fitting into existing understandings of entertainment and labor. Sure. Fortunately, Illinois has now signed into law, will be effective in 2024, the first of its kind kid fluencer legislation wow. that will actually recognize kid fluencers will actually have some requirements for putting money into a trust for them and treating them with kind of roughly uh, the same approach that a kiddo who is on an LA soundstage or a Broadway stage would get. We still have a long way to though, this is this is one state. Uh, others, notably Washington, now Maryland, are working on it. Washington's been a, a real leader here, Washington State. Mm-hmm. The other thing that has not yet been put in that Illinois bill is substantive privacy protections for those kid fluencers once they come of age. So their financial interests are being better protected, mm-hmm. which is super important. But their ability to decide once they're 18, you know what, I actually don't want there to continue to be a global entertainment distribution of me unboxing toys or singing songs or whatever it is. That's a next step that I hope some of these state laws can get to.
1: So they could potentially have removed the past content that was created of them? That is my hope. Okay.
0: And my aspiration for future iterations of kid fluencer state law protections is exactly that, Nikki. That okay. kid fluencers, once they come of age, could have content that contains them removed.
1: What about for just any old kid that has been shared throughout their life and now they're 18 and they're like, Mom, I don't want any of that online.
0: Unfortunately, Nikki, we do not appear to be anywhere close to actually having a comprehensive youth digital privacy law pass at the federal level and then be signed, Right, let alone comprehensive federal digital privacy protections for all of us. I know there's been tremendous efforts really on both sides of the aisle, but it's just not landing. So right now for kids who turn 18 and think, oh my gosh, I don't want this out there. First, there are some states where in certain circumstances, and California notably is one of them, Mm -hmm. there may be some state law protections. So kids should definitely look at the, usually it's Department of Justice for their state would be a good place to start to see what kind of know your rights resources there are for digital privacy in that state. The next thing I would do is ideally kids are able to talk to their parents and say, hey- could you please go into that Facebook account you've had for 20 years and take me out of it? Mm-hmm. Hopefully, with a little bit of good old fashioned family dialogue, right? Parents will be sympathetic. Yes. If that doesn't happen, there are still some things that kids can do. One is if there is content up there about them that they reasonably think violates the community standards for a social media platform or the terms of use or terms of service of a non-social media website, they can absolutely contact the trust and safety team at a social media platform or the relevant point of contact for a non-social media website with a takedown request mm-hmm. and they will have to base it on something that is more than like yeah I just don't like this right <laughs> um but it's obviously worth worth a try mm-hmm. um so I think that that's really important to remember as well kids once they turn 18 also can decide if they want to be online how they portray themselves online they might choose to not have a social media presence using their real name if they are worried about people who found out things about them when they were kids, then contacting them as adults. I will note that the Washington state hearings and the Illinois hearings about Kidfluencer legislation included some really impactful testimony and background from kids who had been kid influencers, right? So a lot was shared, but some of what I'm about to say translates for regular sharing mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. One of the things that was talked about was how disconcerting and dangerous it could be for them as adults, so 18 plus, mm-hmm. to be contacted by random people who are sort of pretending to have known their parents or known them saying, oh, hey, you know, I remember when you were little, how much you loved unicorns. And so that kind of creates this really creepy sense of intimacy Mm -hmm. and allows a kind of creepy person to then get into their social media um, comments or maybe their direct messages. And actually then it turns out that this is somebody who didn't, know their parents and in, in real life, yeah. but is using information they were able to get from sharenting to kind of try to like weasel their way in. So I think yes. if people turn 18 and are concerned about what's out there about them as a minor, they can be really strategic about whether they engage social media or just online ecosystems outside of social media mm-hmm. using their real name once they're an adult.
1: Yeah, that, and that's an interesting... Way to look at it. Because I think for kids who have been shared through their childhood, also the tech companies now have tons of information on them from their interests to their names to their birthdays to their friends' names to their location, you know, everything. And so now they come on as themselves. The tech company is already targeting them with manipulative advertisements and algorithms based off of the information that they've already learned about them. Yes. When you are connected with friends on there, how you know their kids, and maybe you've never met them in real life, but you know so much about their children. And one of my friends was like, I'll I'll look at a friend's kid and be like, hey, Josh, and this kid doesn't know who I am. The stranger danger privacy lines are just really blurred when it comes to what we're sharing about those kids.
0: That's right. And it's hard for kids to understand, I think, because- yes. You know, we tell our kids, I think generally reasonable people would say to their kids, don't get in a car with a stranger. Don't yeah. get into a conversation with a stranger. If a stranger approaches you, go find a police officer, a teacher, an adult you know, right? Yeah. But yet the convention, the norms for so many parents mm-hmm. is to curate information about their kids two people who would actually be strangers to their kids if they met them in person. right? Right. And sometimes that can still be a very limited group. If you have your social media settings set to private, it does not (laughs) solve every privacy problem, but it can help put a little friction in. But especially when something is set to public or it's not on social media, right? It's a blog post or something else, Mm -hmm. then you really are effectively kind of choosing to almost like take out a billboard, right? By yeah. the by the side of every highway everywhere around the world now into the future and parade this information out for anyone who wants to see it. Mm-hmm. And when you say it like that, most parents are like, oh, I do not want to do that. Mm-hmm. And I agree. I don't want to do that. I don't think it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. But actually, that is what social media sharenting mm-hmm especially if it's not set to private, but candidly even if it is because something can be screenshotted and reshared. That is what we're doing. And I think the generative, iterative power of that kind of Insta billboard Mm -hmm. is really amazing. And it can accomplish so much that is so good in so many ways. And also like countless other things that we choose To have our kids age into right Mm -hmm. cars, essential for interstate travel. Yeah, we don't let kids drive them until they're older. (laughs) We make sure kids are in restraints when that are specially for them until a certain age. There's so many things that, like, yes, have some danger, but are ultimately good for us individually and for the world as a whole. Although with cars, we need to do a better job environmentally. <laughs> um, but it's we're just still at such a new space, Nikki, with social media and the digital world mm-hmm. more broadly that we just haven't yet had the balancing, I think, of how do we make this really powerful tool that can be used and is being used for so much good, yeah. right, just – reasonably safe, as reasonably safe as it can be for kids when they're kind of coming along with us parents and other adults for the ride Mm -hmm. or when they're using it themselves. Mm
1: -hmm. My kids, well, they're all under eight, so I have some time, (laughs) but won't get social media until it's just reasonably safer. There's too many addictive features, bots. I just don't feel that it's safe enough right now. So if I wouldn't let them on it, why would I post them to
0: it? I think that's the right question. I will say where it does start to get more complicated Mm -hmm. is the ways in which for kids and teens, especially as the kids get older, Mm -hmm. uh, as my wonderful former Berkman Klein colleagues said in their book Growing Up Digital, and they said this back in 2006, right? They were er early to see it. Mm -hmm. For youth, there really aren't lines between online life and offline life, Mm -hmm. right? There's just life. And I do think that's now increasingly true for so many of us as adults, much more so than it was in 2006. But I think their point was that going back a while now to more of the infancy of of today's social media and digital landscape, Mm -hmm. kids were building really complex, nuanced social relationships and social worlds using digital connectivity Mm -hmm. in ways that could have a lot of pro-social features. And so... I agree that in general, social media today has not been designed with the digital equivalents of speed limits and car seats, right? And things that like, hey, it would just be good to have these things. And also I do think, particularly as kids get older and become teenagers, that there can also be trade-offs that are being made from keeping kids away from some spaces, virtual spaces where peers are... Are gathering. Uh, please don't take me as meaning that we should just, you know, open up accounts for our kids and hand over the devices and, and say, have that. I definitely do not think that. Um, I think my kids wish I would think that, yeah. but they're out of luck. <laughs> um, but, I, but I do also appreciate the same way that parents of other generations, like take my parents, right? I, you know, grew up in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. They had to decide at what age could I go to the local mall, Mm -hmm. right? Which friends could I go with? How long could I be there? What were the rules about when I had to have a grown-up with me and when I just had to have a grown-up somewhere in the mall? And then when could I graduate, right, to being dropped off and picked up? Mm -hmm. um, It is more complicated than that when we're talking about virtual spaces for a number of reasons. But some of those same coming-of-age conversations, you know, between parents and kids, Mm -hmm. between parents and co-parents, if there's a partner involved, right? Some of it is familiar.
1: Yeah. And and with the risks there with privacy and, and digital safety, are there certain bills around this space that parents should be looking into and considering supporting?
0: I think that parents should look at what is being proposed in their specific state. Okay. There's often a lot now that's happening on the state level in terms of digital privacy and what we might think of as digital safety for youth more broadly. Mm -hmm. I think parents should contact state lawmakers in particular and say, it is really important to me that this state better protects my kids' digital privacy and my kids' digital safety. Okay, And they should also, though, ask their legislators to come up with things that don't go so far as to potentially impede youth or adult First Amendment or other constitutional rights. Yeah. Because one of the things that's happening right now, we're seeing this in California, for instance, is that some really great... You know, state level legislation, California Age Appropriate Design Code Act was temporarily enjoined in September by a federal court there for a number of reasons, including some very serious First Amendment concerns. And so I think if lawmakers hear from parents that just as a matter of good, Solid, long standing, like parents need tools to be able to keep their kids safe Mm -hmm. and also to encourage lawmakers to look at bills that don't regulate social media in a way that is going to run into kind of the First Amendment chainsaw. And so, free speech. Yeah. And so, one thing that is really worth a lot of attention Mm -hmm. is parents saying to lawmakers, hey, Social media platforms, in addition to being information providers and exchanges, Mm -hmm. they're also products, right? They're not just information. And... You know, if the local newspaper all of a sudden started sending around print editions that were so sharp that you got a paper cut every time you touched it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. the local newspaper would not be able to shield itself from liability for that consumer (laughs) protection defect by saying, well, we're a newspaper. Right. And what's in our product is speech. Like, no, you still have to make it so that it's not cutting everybody. (laughs) Um, I really think that there's a lot of room – for state legislatures to look at ways in which social media from a digital safety and privacy perspective could have some common sense kind of consumer protection guardrails on it in a way that doesn't go after speech and protected First Amendment activity.
1: Okay. Amazing. So we talked a bit about I've heard the term grand sharenting, so family members sharing our children. Um, And so I hear from parents that are no longer sharing their kids, but their family members still are, and they are having trouble with restricting that. Is there any legal element to someone that's not a parent sharing a kid?
0: If a grandparent or an aunt, an uncle, or other trusted adult in your social circle is sharenting your kid, I really think the most effective, most practical, (laughs) most respectful tool in your toolkit Mm -hmm. is a conversation. Right. It can be a difficult conversation to have. I totally get that, right? Sometimes it's easier to call a state lawmaker than it is to talk to a relative. (laughs) Uh, But just sort of trying, one thing I encourage folks to do, Nikki, is to try to have the conversation the same way they might if they were having a conversation about a food allergy or restriction, Mm -hmm. right? So sort of like, hey, you know, in our house, we don't serve nuts because Johnny is allergic to nuts. We say, and you know, in our house, we don't take and post pictures because we have a certain taste for privacy. Um, so I really do think trying to just affirmatively have that conversation and maybe pointing the grand sharanter to this podcast or another mm-hmm. resource to explain why. Yeah, If that fails, you can certainly untag Right, If if you're being tagged as the parent or your Mm -hmm. kid's being tagged, you can untag. If it is really getting egregious and crossing the line, you can contact the trust and safety team if it's a social media platform or the relevant team if it is a non-social media website under their uh, terms and conditions and say, hey, there is a picture up here of a minor Mm -hmm. and I am the parent and I did not consent to this. Please take it down. That should get you removal or at least attention and consideration. Okay, it does start to get a little harder, Nikki. So you know, if if my mom, my mom is very respectful, (laughs) she wouldn't do this, but I'm I'm I'll just pick on her for the sake of a hypothetical. Uh But if my mom takes a picture of you know a huge family reunion, right, and um, my kids are like in the bottom corner with their faces barely visible, right? And I write the social media platform and say, hey, you know, I'm the parent of of these minors and I didn't consent, please take it down. I think they generally still will, but it starts to get a little more complicated. Certainly if it is something that is like, very clearly identifiable as your kid. It is focused on them. And you as a parent have asked the person who took it to please take it down. Yes, I absolutely would contact Mm -hmm. the relevant trust and safety team and request removal on the grounds that it is a picture of a minor who is your child or your legal ward, you're the guardian, and you don't consent and ask them to take it down. Okay. And
1: do we have the legal right to do
0: that? That is a complicated question. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not trying to dodge it. Yeah. But that's okay. I will say that it is not the law that each and every Person who takes a picture of each and every child under every set of circumstances needs to get parental consent ahead of time. Okay, there are certain circumstances in which you very clearly do. If the child is a student in the school, protected by student privacy laws. Mm. If you're using name, image, and likeness in a commercial context, I mean, there are there a bunch of scenarios where yes, you should be getting affirmative parental consent, and if you don't, then you should not be posting it. But if you're kid is standing on a public playground or on a public street corner mm-hmm. and you know somebody else is there too playing with their kids and your kid appears in the corner of a shot of a bunch of kids on the playground and there's no other type of criminal or illegal activity right so it's not being done for harassment it's not being done to say you know everyone go beat up on me Leah and my 13 year old self mm-hmm. then you know, it's it's okay. not quite as as clear, but I I do think it's important for listeners to remember, Nikki, that what you don't always need to have a clear law to back you up mm-hmm. when you make a request to a social media platform or a website as a customer, mm-hmm. right, or a member of that social media platform, or just a user of the website as a member of the public. You certainly can't be reaching out to them to ask them to do something that violates the law. Please do not do that. But- Social media platforms, outside of certain boundaries where the law is quite clear, right, like this has to come down, Mm -hmm. they are putting together very elaborate governance regimes of trust and safety as a matter of essentially private contracts between Mm -hmm. them and their users. And so you can go ahead and just take a look at the community standards or whatever they've titled it for that platform Mm -hmm. and make a request to them as a user of that platform, or a member of the public who has seen something on the platform, tie it back to their own community standards, and ask them to take a look at it and request removal. Okay. Um, please don't get me wrong. the The law needs to be followed and respected. And also, there are so many spots in cyber law, particularly around kids and particularly around privacy, where we don't have very robustly developed areas of law mm-hmm. yet. okay, And so being able to make a request based on a platform or a website's own rules and policies is available to you. And by the way, the law is still there in the background, right? Because even though it's kind of a legal fiction, mm-hmm. I think for us to understand clicking accept or agree as entering into a binding contract, right? Mm-hmm. Click wrap. So we all go through and just like, yeah, accept. Yeah. Um, the Lord! Law- not always, but often actually does look at those as contracts. And remember, contracts are instruments of private law. We're entering into an agreement. Yeah. So people should should definitely contact platforms and websites if there are pictures of their kiddos or information about their kiddos that they want taken down. Okay. I love that advice.
1: And that provided a lot of clarity for me. So thank you. I loved how you said in your book, meaning well still leaves our children at risk. And I'm not about judging or shaming any parent. We're all about educating, like I said and helping people make critical decisions about sharing their kids online, like asking themselves, why are they sharing? And does it benefit their kid? And we've exposed parents, a lot of parents to the risks through our Instagram and our podcast. And a lot of parents came back with, oh my gosh, I didn't realize all of this. What should I do? Should I delete all my kids' photos? Wondering what you think the safest route is nowadays for parents who have been sharing their kids for years, but are now worried about the risks. What would you advise them to do?
0: For parents who've been sharing their kids for years and are now worried about the risks, I would advise them to stop sharing. I share, Nikki, by the way, your, your no judgment, just education. Yes, yes. Sharenting is very much a norm. Mm-hmm. So people have been in keeping with their their friends and neighbors in doing this. But I would say stop sharing. Yep. Pull down old photos. Just take them off. Mm-hmm.
1: It's not easy to do, but it, you know. It's not
0: easy to do. <laughs> it's it's time consuming, but but take them off. I would also say that if your kids are old enough to sort of have been aware that mm-hmm. you were sharenting them and that you've made a change, by all means, model thoughtful digital citizenship by bringing them along for the ride. And I don't mean that the kid gets to be in the driver's seat, right? There are many decisions that we as parents do not let our children make for many good reasons. Yes. And so i'm not I'm not saying, you know, hand over your your password to your kid. But I am saying if your kid is old enough to know that they've been Shared did, and old enough to understand you when you say, I'm taking these pictures down because I have decided that in this family, we should share pictures only by secure text messaging, right, or something, Uh, because I think that only people that we actually know in person should see pictures of us, that's super helpful to your kid. Yeah, great lesson. Yeah, it's a great lesson because you know what? All of us at all ages, whether we're kids, teens, parents, grandparents, any age, the digital world is evolving so rapidly and so nonlinearly that we are all going to have so many moments where we are learning new things about digital citizenship and making new decisions about digital citizenship. Yes. That giving your kids a toolkit for understanding we can change our minds about what we do online and yes. why. Yes. And we can change them for these kind of values based and practical reasons. That right there is a lesson that is worth its weight in gold. So I think it's an opportunity for parents who make that decision rather than being too little too late. It's never too late.
1: I agree. I love how you said that. In your book, Share you wrote, this book is a conversation starter. You wrote, uh, it's for everyone who wants to think and talk about how adults' choices around children's digital lives impact youth. So and that's exactly why I started the Scrolling to Death podcast, just to have these conversations because there's there seems to be a big gap between parents and experts like you in the space. And so what we're trying to do is bridge that gap so that parents have access to this information. And even today, lots of parents are, are still sweeping this topic under the rug. Many think that the topics are sensationalized or just not relevant to their family. So I hope today's discussion made it Clear that our children are being affected in some ways by us sharing them online, and we just need to think more critically about sharing them. I wanted to say really thank you for having the courage to speak up about this. You know, it's it's difficult to be someone that talks about something that's not mainstream, and getting all that feedback, even for me, has been super fun. Um, but, <laughs> but people like you are why parents like me are able to speak up and and help protect our kids. So so thank you really for speaking up on it and. Sharing your thoughts. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for continuing the conversation in such an impactful, thoughtful, and inclusive way. And also for bringing me new questions, new things to think about, new things to research and write about. Really, when it comes to how we best protect our kids the bulk of the work is going to be done at the level of individual human decisions yes. by parents, grandparents, yes. kids themselves. And so mm-hmm. your work is so important, Nikki, and I appreciate your time. Thank
1: you. Okay. So Leah's book, head is available everywhere. Go to leahplunkett.com to see all her other work. Can listeners connect with you somewhere, Leah? Is there a preferred platform?
0: Yes. Listeners can connect with me. There's an intake form through Mm plunkett.com. I'm also on LinkedIn and I am also on Instagram, although I'm lousy at checking Instagram. LinkedIn (laughs) is best. (laughs) That's okay.
1: (laughs) Amazing. Okay, Leah, thank you again. And thank you to everyone for listening to this episode about Charenting with Leah Plunkett. This is a hot topic for us here at Scrolling to Death, and we will continue to bring conversations that matter and equip parents uh, in raising little successful people. So we'll catch you next time. And thank you again, Leah.
0: Thanks.